Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hello and welcome to Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Joining me this week for a COVID inquiry special are John Ferguson, who's the political editor of the Sunday Mail and Scottish Daily Express editor, Ben Borland. So, as I was saying, it's a UK COVID inquiry special. It's pretty much dominated Scottish politics the last week. Um, It's been based in Edinburgh, uh, taking uh, evidence on the handling of the pandemic north of the border, which, as we know, was led by Nicola Sturgeon. And I think it'd be fair to say that the controversy was triggered by confirmation last week that Nicola Sturgeon has not retained any of her WhatsApp messages, basically blowing a massive hole in our understanding um, of how she dealt with the pandemic. Uh, And that's a pattern that's been repeated throughout her government. Um, The Chief Medical Officer, Gregor Smith, didn't hold on to any of his WhatsApps, uh, nor did Jason Leach, uh, who was the ubiquitous face of the pandemic and also the National Clinical Director. So, John, let's start with you, because I said pointedly at the beginning that um, it was confirmed last week that Nicola Sturgeon had not retained any of her messages. You'd actually revealed this in the Sunday Mail at the tail end of last year. So could you just talk us through your original story and what the response was um, within the SNP and the Scottish Government at the time? Yeah, so the story that we... um... We, we had in at the end of last year was that Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney and Hamza Yusuf had all um, told the, the COVID inquiry in response to a formal request um, that their email, that their WhatsApps hadn't been retained. Um, Nicola Sturgeon had told them the inquiry that hers had been manually deleted and um, and the others had said that they hadn't been retained. Um, now, the, in the wake of that, Nicola Sturgeon essentially refused to comment many times, um, as did John Swinney. Um, interestingly, Hamza Youssef kind of attempted to pour cold water on the story. He said that he didn't know where that story could possibly have come from and that he had retained his messages and would be handing them and, and said they would or that he handed them over. Now, there's big question marks now over exactly when he found this 
phone that had these messages in. We understand that was actually after the story was published and when he gave that to the COVID inquiry. But in relation to Nicola Sturgeon, you know, there was a, a just a sort of refusal to, to comment. We've now learned through the inquiry that this story was absolutely true and all our messages had been deleted from her end at least. Um, we can get a, we've had a bit of a glimpse into why she wouldn't want those messages to be in the public domain um, via some messages which have emerged that she wrote that other people had received. Um, for example, you know, in evidence um, today where she's a sort of expletive-ridden message where she's um, uh, calling Boris Johnson a clown. Um, so the question really is what what is in all of these other messages that we'll never see. Um, the reason Nicola, one of the big things that Nicola Sturgeon has, if anything that you could call a legacy, is probably the perception in Scotland that she handled the pandemic very well. Um, you can see how the release of these messages, I mean, what we've seen already is seriously damaging that perception. And I would imagine that if you had the full gambit of messages, it would be damaged far more. Um, so in a sense, you can, if you take a step back from this, you can kind of understand how Nicola Sturgeon feels like it's beyond the score to be asking for every single message say, sent within the Freedom of Information Act. There is, like, for example, there's, there's part of that act that allow for, uh, I think it's called frank discussions between ministers not to be released into the public domain. Obviously, during the pandemic, you know, there, there these frank discussions that, that would have happened within offices just couldn't happen because everybody was at home. And I think everybody across the whole of, you know, in all different um, industries began to use WhatsApp almost as if they were speaking to the person involved. And you can kind of understand why Nicola Sturgeon feels, come on, this is this is beyond the score to, to ask for this stuff. But by the letter of the law, um, that, you know, these, these communications are FOIable and there are laws around the retention of information that needs to be passed to an inquiry. And it's clear that Nicola Sturgeon understood from a very, very early stage that there was going to be an inquiry and that these messages should be retained. So there's huge question marks. And I guess when you, the, the real issue here is potentially information has been destroyed that could be politically embarrassing for Nicola Sturgeon, but that could have been extremely illuminating and helpful for um, future governments who may have to deal with another pandemic? Ben, I mean, let's face it, it looks bloody awful. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Just, you know, the optics of having no WhatsApp messages to provide to an official public inquiry looks dreadful. I mean, how, how serious a blow do you think it is to gaining this full understanding to, of how Nicola Sturgeon dealt with the pandemic? And how serious do you think it is to her reputation? Um, so to answer um, both parts of that question, how serious a blow is it to the chances of us getting a good understanding? I, I have to say, thanks to the, 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 the UK COVID Inquiry Council and the Chair, Baroness Hallett, I, I think we've had two of the most interesting and informative weeks 
that I can remember for years, finally, the, the, the veil of uh, secrecy that the Scottish government's managed to uh, throw over most of its dealings and actions has been lifted. And even though Nicola Sturgeon has deleted all the messages, even though John Swinney had his phone set to auto-delete, even though Jason Leach uh, made this quip uh, about deletion being a pre-bed ritual, d despite all of this, I think we were still getting enough information and enough um, evidence out there to, to, to finally kind of sweep away this idea that, that John uh, said, and I think, you know, you're quite correct in saying so, that, that there's this perception that the Scottish government did really well during COVID when I think there's a, a, a small but kind of vocal minority, and I'd include myself among them, who think actually the Scottish government did far worse during COVID and Scotland suffered as a result of that. And I think by the day now, people are, are starting to, to join that view. And um, so this brings us on to the second part of the question. How serious is it to her reputation? I mean, her reputation is already plummeted in the past 18 months, I think this is just yet another uh, absolutely huge blow to to this persona of this great stateswoman. Um, we, we, we can see now that it just wasn't the case. It really wasn't the case. I think um, WhatsApp uh, deletion aside, Professor Mark Woolhouse yesterday delivered some of the, the most damning evidence, uh, a, a real wrecking ball to this idea that the Scottish government's ultra-cautious approach did any good. I mean, you know, it was very clear that schools didn't need to be closed, but they went ahead and closed them anyway. It was very clear that masks... I mean, Jason Leach himself essentially says... Sorry, I'll just... Uh, tell that. Uh, essentially said that masks didn't work because, you know, he gave Hamza Yusuf a workaround and said, as long as you're as long as you've got a drink in your hands at all times, then you don't need to wear your mask. If if they were so effective, would he have really have said that? And and then I think most of all in Professor Woolhouse's evidence was this um, uh, this section on hospital admissions. And you know we, we knew this. We knew that people were staying away from the NHS as a result of this kind of ultra zealous stay at home. You must stay at home approach. And, and people have died as a result. Thousands of people have, have um, developed diseases that would have been picked up at an earlier stage. Thousands of people have, have gone untreated and, and many of them have died as a, as a result. I mean, it, it, it really was devastating. And I know the focus is on the WhatsApps, but the, the, the whole remit of the inquiries to examine whether what our governments did was the correct response. And and aside from the fact that this is all being kept secret and the, the kind of mocking and sneering approach that uh, uh, those in power had towards the rest of us, it, it's also been proved that, you know, it didn't work. I mean... Then, do, you, do, you, do you think that the WhatsApp scandal, is this the Scottish government's party gate, you think? I think it is. I, I wrote... Uh, um, a piece to that effect uh, for the, the Scottish Daily Express uh, website this week. Um, 
and I have seen other commentators. I didn't copy it, but I did see Brian Wilson and the Scotsman had made the same point, and quite a few people have have said the same. I think it is the Scottish government's party gate. I think the shame is that it's we're now two years further down the line. Um, COVID, thankfully, and the lockdowns and all, everything that that we went through is quite a long way in the rearview mirror now. Whereas when Partygate broke in December 2021, it was still a very real uh, and very sort of tangible threat. And and I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to diminish COVID. You know, it was a terrible pandemic and lots of people uh, suffered greatly. It was a horrible disease. You know, friends and family members who, who who suffered a great deal. The, the point is that the experts are saying perhaps we didn't need to go that far. And it was known at the time we didn't need to go as far as we did. Um, the, the, the comparison with Partygate, I think, is, is, is valid because Partygate uh, seemed like a slap in the face, you know, We'd all stuck to the rules, and yet here was Boris Johnson and others in in the UK government just ignoring their own rules. It, it now seems clear that um, you know the the rules were also being ignored, maybe not on such a grand scale, but also this kind of laughing behind the, the you know when the cameras were switched off, Allegra Stratton and the others were joking about a party in Downing Street. Mm. Um, that that probably set the ball rolling on on the tone that. That, that made people think the UK government, Boris, they're laughing behind the backs at us, at us for being so stupid that we would follow the rules for all that time. It, it, it's now clear that while there's no evidence that ministers were doing this, or not yet anyway, that officials were also laughing and sneering and joking about the rules that we were religiously following. John, just two aspects of the, the secrecy angle, um, a couple of revelations that have come out Nicholas Sturgeon gave a SNP email address to Professor Devi Sridhar, who's an expert or a very vocal figure during the pandemic. And also this morning, it's come out that Nicholas Sturgeon was using a personal phone um, for uh, government business. What do you make of these two things uh, in relation to the WhatsApp row and just this perception of secrecy? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think with all these things, it's all, I mean, everybody knows that all of government's Westminster Hollywood, they were both completely unprepared for the pandemic and it's natural that loads of mistakes would have been made. But what kind of seems worse is this um, attempt to cover up mistakes. Um, And I think it's very interesting, for example, those communications with Debbie Sridhar where it would appear, and I mean, it was even more explicit in some of the evidence from Jason Leach that there, this wasn't just like sort of something at the time that they were, you know, they were, they were deleting WhatsApps or using party emails or personal phones just, you know, by chance that was something to do. It does appear that there was a always a concerted effort to avoid putting communications on record that they knew at some later date could potentially find their way into the public domain. And that's really pretty unacceptable. You know, you don't need to go back very far before government and government, absolutely everything down to the 
last phone call was, you know, recorded by um, by by a, someone who would be listening in in every single communication that a government minister made, and it, rightly so, because these the decisions that they're making are hugely important, and there can be big lessons to learn for the future. I mean, for example, the communication with Debbie Streeter, I 100% agree with um, some of the points Ben was making there, that really what this inquiry is about is fight, is trying to get to the bottom of, did we make the right decisions? Did the lockdowns, for example, um, you know, cause more non-COVID deaths than COVID deaths? And I mean, we haven't even get into the decision-making behind the sending people with COVID in to care homes and to get to, to understand all that sort of what you need to know is who was the first minister really listening to. And so, for example, it appears, I think it's fairly well known that Devi Sridhar was um, rightly or wrongly fairly strong on lockdowns and testing and the idea that you could control the virus and, um, you know, through controlling society. Um, so it's really important to understand who is the first minister listening to and what were those people that she was listening to telling her. Um, if, if you don't know that, then really important stuff can, can will just, you know, just never be known. John, you mentioned Jason Leach there. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, he's the National Clinical Director. Um, you know, to give him a bit of credit, he is a very effective communicator. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that he was put on off the ball um, pretty much every week during the pandemic. But there was that WhatsApp that was released, or that message, in which he said that deleting messages was a pre-bed ritual. He then tried to laugh it off during his own evidence by saying he was being flippant. Um, do you think that the, the Jason Leach um, share price has fallen a bit over the last couple of days? Yeah, I think it has. It's, it's in Jason Leach's role in the pandemic was quite interesting. While his opposite numbers in uh, Westminster appeared to do more or less, you know, it was a much more limit. They were appeared to be Chris Whitty and the likes were genuine um, technical advisors, and the presentation was done by ministers in in Scotland. Jason Leach really kind of. Um, took on the role as the sort of um, like the the spokesman for the the pandemic. It was all about presentation and messaging to the public, and he was very good at it in many respects. Um, he did. I think it was you know it was noticed by everybody. He seemed to be enjoying that a great deal and um, quite enjoying the fame that he found through this. Uh, that's that's not to say that he did. You know he. he that he obviously understood how terrible the pandemic was and was, you know, trying to do a, a public service, but his profile rocketed at the time and it really has fallen in some of these, some of the messages that have come out. I think most importantly, the one where he appears to be giving Humza Yusuf this workaround for um, avoiding mask wearing that, especially given that he is the guy who should have been giving the advice on why this was critically important to wear masks. It seems odd mm. that he would then be advising a government minister that he didn't really need to follow the rules as long as he kept a drink in his hand. I know. Ben, um, you know, this shit show uh, leads perfectly to uh, Hamza Yusuf giving evidence uh, to the UK government inquiry at two o'clock yes. uh, in about half an hour. 
Um, so he has to deal with all this stuff about deleted WhatsApps, the behavior of his predecessor, Jason Leach. Um, it's not going to be a comfortable afternoon for him, is it? No, it's not. So I think um, I think if, if truth were told, I think we'll learn that Hamza Youssef was actually, even though he's the the health secretary for for the kind of second half of the the two years that the, the pandemic is, is sort of seen as covering, actually he was quite a, you know, he's quite a small player in in Nicola Sturgeon's government. It, it was telling in Jason Leach's evidence that even. Kate Forbes, who was then the finance secretary and presumably kind of one of the senior cabinet secretaries, wasn't really in the loop. And and Liz Lloyd, who was uh, giving evidence this morning together with Nicola Sturgeon, were really in charge of the, the daily COVID briefings. So if Hums is honest, he's going to say, look, you know, I was, you know, I, I, no one ever really spoke to me or asked my opinion about anything. Um, but then that's going to, I think that's going to show in a quite a bad light. Yeah, I think you're right because you know, the end you've got you've got Sturgeon, Liz Lloyd, and then you've got probably Gene Freeman, the former health secretary, Jason Leach, and then I think a couple of rungs below John, that, John Swinney as well, I think was John Swinney. And then so a couple of rungs below you probably got Hamza who came in as health secretary at the tail end when Yeah, it was kind of I think it, it was his, his job was NHS recovery, which has obviously not uh, not exactly gone very well. Yeah. Um, but just a broader political point, Ben. You know, Hamza took over as FM last year. Now, every political leader wants to get a bit of momentum, get a bit of wind behind them in the, the early days, but just hasn't because he's still in the shadow of Nicholas Sturgeon, his predecessor. So the early days were overshadowed by Operation Branch Form. He also inherited a bunch of duff policies that he uh, ditched. Now, He's in the middle of this nightmare about deleted WhatsApps. He just can't seem to strike out on his own, can he? No, he can't. I think that's because, I mean, he campaigned as the continuity candidate. He campaigned as the guy who didn't really seem to have a new direction to, to take the party or the government in. Um, so, so, no, he's, he's, he's really struggling to get going. And... This will just happen time and time again. I think he's just going to be forever haunted by the mistakes of of his predecessor, who was such a big figure in Scottish life for so long and in Scottish politics. That that as as her reputation kind of slowly uh, in this sort of slow motion car crash un unravels, it all just falls back on him. He he can't make a fresh start. Uh, I mean. I have to say, just to sort of, I, I'm looking forward to Humza Yusuf's evidence. I have to say, I, I wish the UK inquiry was spending more than three weeks in Scotland. I, I feel like we're getting more answers in this very short space of time that, than we've had from multiple inquiries and certainly the Scottish COVID inquiry. You now sort of think, well, what what what's the point other than is that now going to be an exercise in sort of undoing some of this damage? I, I feel like this is a real lesson in how a public inquiry should be run. Mm. And you look at some of the public inquiries we've had under the current administration, I think they go on for a very long time and they tend not to ask the difficult questions. Whereas in the space of, I mean, we're only 
uh, into the second week of, of this three-week spell in Edinburgh, and it's it's been, you know, fascinating and appalling in equal measure. Um, and just to pick up on something that, uh, in a previous hearing, when the the inquiry is in London, Boris Johnson has given evidence. I'm sure he will again. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, we know, was very disparaging about him this morning. But I, I thought he said something in one of his sessions that, that was really interesting, that he regretted the early decision in March 2020 to treat COVID as a health issue rather than under civil contingencies legislation, because that would have allowed the UK government to say, look, the devolved administrations aren't getting a say in this. We're running this as a civil you know, in, in the same way you might run the response to a, a disaster or, you know, some terrible mm. natural disaster, the UK government steps in and overrides all the devolved administrations. Instead, it was treated as a health emergency and therefore the devolved administrations all got to put their own rules in place. I, I, I mean, maybe people will disagree with me and be throwing things at the screen, but I think if COVID had been run by the UK government, people in Scotland, people in Wales, people in Northern Ireland, people across the UK would, would have actually come out of it um, rather better. And, and I mean, you wouldn't have had the distractions of cross borders and was about things. The, the UK government made a complete arse of it. Well, so did the Scottish government. But at least you've only I got mean, one so government. It would have been better if the UK government had um, done it for all of us. Well, because we wouldn't have had the constant cross-border sniping and you know these ugly scenes at the border where people were told don't don't come to Scotland, we, we would have had we would have just had one government making a mess instead of two. More Boris Johnson. Hmm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I think both well, governments. I'm, made some I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure some people, you know, like I say, will be will be. Um, outraged at such a thing, but I, I, I personally think having the UK government in charge throughout, I mean, perhaps it could have been uh, Alistair Jack could have put in some rules for Scotland. I think we might have seen some more sensible policies. Mm, I'll agree to disagree on that one, Ben. Uh, just to, John, just to go back to a point Ben made about um, Hamza and the sort of legacy. Uh, do you think part of his problem is not so much the Operation Branch form and the WhatsApps, but it's the fact that he is stuck so closely to Nicola Sturgeon? You know, he ran as the continuity candidate, so you know it's, he, he can't step out of her shadow. He's kind of joined at the hip with her. He's made his decision, and he always has to answer for her mistakes rather than simply saying, "I don't agree with uh, what she did there. I wish she hadn't done it." Um. Well, I mean, in a way, yes. Yeah, so he stood as the continuity candidate. He's clearly feels uh, indebted to Nicola Sturgeon for helping him get the job. But you do think something that like he has had many opportunities to make a clean break without having to be particularly nasty about Nicola Sturgeon, just make a clean break and stamp his own uh, character on the the government, but it does seem like he's, you know, a lot of Hamza's problems um, you could blame on his predecessor, but then he seems to be at every turn making the wrong decision on other things. I mean, the recent example is sort of the failure to just immediately ban XL bullies is 
clearly a silly decision and it's now blowing up in his face. You get the feeling that they're walking into another potential disaster with the conversion therapy bill. Um, there's, you know, there, there are other things that he could be concentrating on, but instead he seems determined often to, you know, to keep concentrating on the same policy um, policies that Nicola Sturgeon be and kind of just making mistakes that are that he doesn't need to. Um, he'd mentioned earlier the, what he might learn this afternoon or the potential pitfalls for Hamza and the COVID. I think a really interesting thing will be whether he has to answer questions on whether he did, as the Sunday Mail story said, te- initially tell the um, the inquiry that his WhatsApps hadn't been retained. I strongly believe that to be the case. Um, if you remember the chronology of it was that he said, I've got no idea where that press report came from. I've retained all my WhatsApps and handed them over. Now, I suspect that he had handed them over possibly that morning or you know, sometime very closely following our story being published. If it emerges that he has told the inquiry that his WhatsApps hadn't been retained, so it, it clearly was misleading the public and saying that he didn't know where that press report had come from. And also if it emerges that he potentially hasn't given all of his WhatsApps to the inquiry, then again, you know, I, th- I think he'll have huge questions to to answer. So he's, he's really struggled to get out of Nicholas Surgeon's shadow, but it kind of feels like he doesn't want to get out of our shadow. And it's sort of difficult to work out why that that is. You know, another example would be the Michael Matheson um, iPad bill affair. You know, it just seemed like there was an easy way to deal with that and a right way to deal with that. And he didn't do it. So he's. I think he, from what I gather he's in many of these issues he's been given advice by some of his senior advisors to to take a different course but he's deciding on his own that he doesn't want to so it's it's yes yeah, some of his decisions are really inexplicable to be honest um just to wrap this section up uh nicola sturgeon is giving her own evidence on wednesday i think it's a full day that's going to be the key moment of the UK COVID inquiry from a Scottish perspective, no doubt. And I think that we'll be looking at that in great depth on Thursday and the next Planet Hollywood. Uh, so let's turn to good week, bad week. Ben, start with you. Um, I was just going to uh, point out to John there. Uh, it, it would be a great surprise if, if an SNP figure had given a false statement to the Sunday Mail. Surely that's never happened before. <laughs> Um, uh, good, good week. Uh, I mean, again, it's all on the inquiry. Uh, Jamie Dawson, KC, the lead counsel mm. to the, the UK COVID 19 inquiry, I think has been uh, um, an absolute revelation and shows what a forensic legal mind can do when uh, it's put to work dismantling politicians. Uh, I think some of our MSPs are, are really good and they do a great job. They're not always allowed to, to really get into the weeds and, and question people. I think he's been, you know, he's, he's um, a new express hero, shall we say. 
I think he's been brilliant. He has he's been, been very good, hasn't he? Not, not in a sort of showboaty, grandstanding way, just that not. sort of quiet, methodical um, style he's got. I, I think, uh, you know, he shouldn't do, but it does help that he's also a Scot. And I think if he was a very smart English KC, it might rub some people up the wrong way and say, oh, you know, what's, what's it? So it, it immediately neutralises any kind of uh, complaint that, that, that people might have that, oh, hang on, this is someone just picking on the Scottish government. And that does that. Uh, bad week, uh, staying with the COVID inquiry. And um, uh, I think uh, she, she'll be glad that's over. Um, Liz Lloyd, um, I think most of us in newspapers will will, will know Liz from, from down the years. Um, but, I mean, from, from when, when I knew her many years ago, she seems to have been promoted into a position of, of uh, great power as basically Nicola Sturgeon's number two um, and clearly at a level above cabin, cabinet secretaries when it came to decision-making on some aspects of the pandemic. Um, so, I, you know, I don't take any pleasure in it, but I, I think uh, she's, she's clearly uh, come a cropper this week. John, over to you. Um, so, Steph, I will a little bit away from the pandemic, I would say that Alistair Jacks, the Scottish Secretary, has had a, um, appears to be having a good week in that he's just announced that he's going to pursue the Scottish Government for costs over the failed um, court attempt to, to get the GRR legislation through. Um, but I would temper that by saying I just wonder whether this stuff might backfire a, a bit. It seems pretty clear to me now that the... Um, UK government and Alistair Jack feel like the Scottish government are weak and that Hamza Yusuf is someone that can be bullied and pushed around. And I just wonder whether these constant attacks might begin to rub the public up the wrong way. You know, like it doesn't really, there doesn't really seem to be any good, it doesn't really seem that it's going to help Scotland in any way for Alistair Jack to, to sort of sue the Scottish government or pursue the Scottish government through the courts for a couple of hundred grand to pay for what is, you know, as misguided as it was, basically a sort of attempt to protect or what they saw as a, a attempt to protect devolution. Um, so I just, I wonder how long he can keep doing that. He's obviously getting a great reputation within the UK government as the guy that's um, battering a punch drunk SMP around the ring, but I just wonder if that how people really feel about that. Um, I think and, it's over people's heads. I think it's a detail that. Uh, yeah. I'm not, you know, I think they probably follow the gender spat a little bit, but in terms of who pays the costs, well, ultimately the taxpayer pays the costs. Yeah, exactly. We are paying it either way. Comes out of. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> Bad week, John. Who've you got? Bad week, I'd say Jason Leach, like you'd mentioned earlier. He's he was the sort of one of the heroes of the pandemic on off the ball every week, and um, he's he's had a bit of a shocker this week. Um, in danger of being shown a red card after it emerged that he um he gave Hamza a bit of advice on how to get round the rules that he was supposed to be coming up with and getting all the rest of us to follow so i think it's and also you know the the 
messages where it's quite clear that they're aware of FOI legislation and all the rest of it, and they're making a concerted effort to try to get round it and make sure that their communications aren't recoverable in the future. So I think he's a bit of a, a stinker. Uh, something tells me he won't be on Tam Cowan's show this Saturday. Um, sick as a parrot. Yes, indeed. Okay, chaps, thanks for that. Thank you again. Um, I hope that uh, listeners enjoyed this COVID special. And as I said earlier, next week will be about Nicola Sturgeon's evidence to the same inquiry, which I'm pretty sure will be uh, quite an experience. So I hope to, to see you again next week. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.